Welcome, everybody, to Marin Covenant Church. My name is Ben Kearns. I am one of the lead pastors here as well. Super glad you joined us. You, you braved the elements. Good job. I want to welcome our online community. Rhea, thanks for hosting those guys. Sarah, Jeff's mom, really glad that you're joining us um, from a distance as well. Um, we are uh, going through John. We're spending this entire year going through the book of John. And this morning, whoa, nice. We are going to be going through uh, John chapter 6. So if you have a Bible... Why don't you turn to John chapter 6? What a fun treat. And you guys like donuts? Dude. All right. Well, I got a couple left. In private, of course, I eat all these. But let me share. Anyone anyone else want a donut? I got a couple to share. Yeah, Denise is like, let me add it. Something free. Some complex carbohydrate. I love it. Tons of sugar. Oh, yeah. All right, there we go. Anyone else? Oh, over here, excuse me. Here's the best part of you eat it in church. COVID can't make you sick, apparently. That's a good rule. All right, sprinkles. You gonna share one? All right, Raj. All right, Catherine. Sean's, I know you don't say no to that kind of healthy option right there. All right, yeah, all right, we got two more. And then, and then I think we're almost done here. Here you go, Chelsea. All right, Sherry. That's right. Mom's in the back. I love it. When else are you going to have these things? Well, donuts are incredible. I got a few left. Nate, you keep raising your hand. So here's the deal, Nate. I got two, four, five left. Um, your job is to actually, you're going to end up eating three of those, okay? So this will all make sense a little bit. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to put a timer on just so you pace yourself. Last hour, Mike just went for it and ate them all. So basically every six minutes, you want to get a donut. And you've already had one out there, so you're crushing it. All right, so I'm going to start the timer. When it goes off, um, you're going to need to uh, be on donut number two. Easy, right? Or for you, that'd be technically three, right? All right. Well, here we are, donut morning, and we're in John chapter 6. So if you have your Bible, turn to John chapter 6. And uh, you're going to see all of John chapter 6 is basically this incredible sermon that Jesus preaches. It was a two-day sermon. I mean, we're like, hey, how about 25 minutes? Can we make it 25 minutes? Well, Jesus had a two-day sermon, and Jesus is a brilliant preacher. And the the way he begins his sermon in John chapter 6, what does it say right there at the top in big, bold words? Feed the 5,000, right? So he's already talking, and he brings out the the big guns, free food for everybody. I thought, you know, there would just be a few less people because of the weather, so I only got a dozen donuts. But Jesus, right, there, 5,000 people are there. And everyone's starting to get hungry. And the worst thing you want is a crowd of people who are hungry while you're trying to take their attention. And so Jesus does this incredible miracle, right? He takes loaves, he takes fishes, and he passes them out, and everybody is fed. It's this beautiful, beautiful sermon. Well, the anchor of the whole sermon, the message that Jesus was trying to communicate from the very beginning, is found in the middle of John chapter 6. John chapter 6, verse 35, is the anchor of this entire day and a half sermon. Jesus then declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty again. And these people, right, they were were hungry. Jesus fed them. And if you've ever had a big meal, even if it's a free meal, six hours later, right, you're hungry again. So if you have a day and a half later, right, these people who had experienced this gift, this generous gift, this free meal from Jesus, a day and a half later, Jesus does the bulk of his sermon And he says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty again. And of course, what Jesus is talking about is not food, food. He's talking about spiritual food. But 
we all are human beings. Every single human being knows the experience of being hungry. Every human being knows the experience of being thirsty. We eat food. We live our life. And then we go, oh, I'm hungry again. I need to eat. Oh, I'm living my life. Oh, I'm hungry again. I need to eat. Every single human being knows that. And Jesus says, yes, in the exact same way that your body has these natural rhythms where you eat food and you're full and you're ready to do your day and then you're hungry again, in the exact same way your spiritual life has those same rhythms, that you need to feed your inner life, your spiritual life. You need to walk in such a way that you are being fed spiritually. And Jesus says, and the way that you do that is by eating this bread that I have, this, this drink that I have. You'll never be hungry again. You'll never be thirsty again. This is the bulk of the sermon. For those of us who have ever spent time around the church, who have been growing in our relationship with God, we know that to be true. We know as spiritually hungry people on this journey towards Christ, we are people who are connecting to Christ and we've experienced little glimpses of his goodness, of his grace, of his healing, of his forgiveness, of his transformation. We're experiencing these things. And we come to church because we need to be reminded on a regular basis because we're just human beings. We forget, unlike we forget to eat, we do forget to eat spiritually. And so we come and we remind ourselves of these incredible truths. And that's the anchor that Jesus is trying to say that Jesus says, I am the bread of, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Now, what's incredible is Jesus, I mean, Jesus is God. And when Jesus is crafting a sermon, even things, I think, go a little sideways for him. He's a good original youth pastor. He crank, cranks out this beautiful hook by feeding all of these people. Gosh, this is a great, a great hook. But if you read through the book, if you read through John chapter 6, you realize this beautiful opening illustration gets a little sideways on him. And, uh, and there's this knee-jerk reaction. So our knee-jerk reaction to this good news might actually cause us to miss it. And this is what happened. People were experiencing this moment with Jesus. And because they're human beings, because we're human beings, we get distracted. Certain things happen, and we end up missing the main teaching of Jesus. And this is what exactly happens in John chapter 6. Now, a knee-jerk, this is a patella reflex, and Steve wasn't here last hour. I'd spent like 20 minutes on Wikipedia, so I'm like this expert brain guy, um, like, like Steve is. And, um, and actually, I, even after 20 minutes, I have no idea what a knee jerk is, what a patella reflex is, other than it's a reflex using your, um, your senses, your, uh, your nervous system, but it doesn't involve your brain. You experience this, this stimulus and that your body behaves in a certain way. It's a knee jerk. And human beings, we are those people. We experience the stimulus and there's certain things that we're just compelled to do because we're human beings. And two of these things happen. So Jesus preaches this incredible beginning of his sermon. He feeds the 5,000. He gives them, like they experienced a miracle. And I'm wondering, I mean, Jesus is God, so this probably, he didn't wonder this, but I would wonder this, like, how did that just not cause people to worship to be like, oh my goodness, you are the son of God. You did this incredible worship, you did this incredible thing and we love you and we worship you and we're gonna follow you. Instead, this is what happens in John chapter six, verse 15. Jesus, knowing what they intended uh, to come and take, make him king by force, he withdrew again to the mountain by himself. And so their knee-jerk reaction was, we experienced this teaching, we experienced this good news. They've heard miracles, like miracles happen individually, but now 5,000 of them experience this miracle at once and their reaction is like, this guy is awesome. Let's take him. Let's overthrow Rome. And away we go. And if you've ever watched the news, you know mob violence is really exciting for CNN for like a minute, but nothing good comes from it, right? Just death and destruction. And Jesus knew if he, these 5,000 people marched on Rome, that would be the end of it. So that's one way that, that, um, that Jesus, this incredible sermon, they missed it. And how often do we experience a little bit of goodness of God's goodness and grace? And then we just extrapolate out. We know exactly what that means. And then we're on to the next thing, missing it. But Jesus withdraws to a mountain, withdraws to a mountain by himself. Now here's why it's this day and a half sermon. So Jesus 
Oh, that's six minutes. Nate, how are we doing there? You're about to finish your second one. All right, good job, Nate. I'm going six more minutes, okay? So you just keep going on. Just pace yourself, though. All right, because we got two more. We got two more coming, okay? Okay, you keep working on that. Okay. Okay, so the reason why this is a, a, a day and a half sermon, because Jesus withdraws, and the disciples take their boat across the Lake of Galilee, and uh, the next day, in that middle of the night, Jesus goes, he walks on water. And you know that story, and what's funny, in the book of John, he goes, he basically just tells the story in a really superficial way. There's no Peter, there's no Peter crawling out to Jesus, I want to be out there with you. Just like John's like little subtle dig towards Peter, I guess, like, listen, man. You got your own thing, right? So, he, But Jesus walks on the water. That's when Jesus walks on the water after feeding the 5,000. And he shows up on the other side of the lake and all these people are there. And Jesus knows exactly what's going on because it's free food. It's free something. And we all want our freebies. And so Jesus says this in John chapter 6, verse 26. Very truly, I tell you that you were looking for me, not because you saw the signs that I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. And how heartbreaking that must be for Jesus, who did this incredible miracle, who, who ministered and cared for these people and provided this very simple, gracious gift. And instead, what they knew is, you're only here. You just want another meal. Your, 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 your stomach's hungry again. You want, another, you want another meal, and that's why you're here. And again, I just think how frustrating that must be for Jesus. He's trying to compel these people to say, listen, you're so simple. All you do is react to the most simple stimuli, and you're missing the truth that I am the bread of life. If you eat of this, you will never be hungry again. Well, finally, in this two-day sermon, Jesus finally gets to the point. You just think these numbskulls, right? They're like us. Like, what? We ate free food. Do you want to take over Rome? Like, what do you want? What do you want? Finally, Jesus says, okay, here is the point. This is the point of the whole message. To believe in the one that he has sent. In John chapter 6, 29, what is the point? To believe in the one that he has sent. I don't know if you've ever did this at camp or like at a corporate like team building thing, a trust fall. You ever do those things? You know, you have a bunch of people, they stand below you and they put their arms out like this and you, you put your arms like this, you turn over and then, oh, geez, I almost really did it. And then you fall backwards, right? Um, there's on, uh, on somewhere on YouTube or, or TikTok, wherever, there's this woman who stood like this. She's ready to fall into her boyfriend's arms who she loves and her boyfriend's like this, ready to catch her. And she just like goes forward into this lake. So she misses it. Sometimes we think we're trusting Jesus, right? We go the wrong way. It happens. But I love this picture because when we talk about trust, uh-oh, Nate, you okay, man? Okay, water, good, good. <laughs> Hydrate, baby. So we go, okay, so what's the point? So Jesus, right, so, but the point is to believe in the one that he has sent. And a lot of times in our minds, we can trick ourselves into thinking we believe a lot of things. But it's not until we actually like make this step of faith. Believing that Jesus is the son of man is one thing trusting him is a whole different deal. I love the idea of a trust fall because at some point in that fall, you have like committed, you have like fallen and hoping that your people are going to catch you. And Jesus is saying at the end of the day, what I'm talking about is I want you to believe in the one that God has sent. Every little bit, as we're in John chapter six, every single chapter so far up to this point, there's been some declaration of Jesus saying, listen, I am the son of God, believe in me and you will have eternal life. That is his call. That is his invitation to believe, to lean back and trust. And we're all in different parts of that journey. Sometimes we're, none of us are like up on the stand going, yeah, I bet that could happen. Some of us have taken that leap like, oh my goodness, God is so good. Sometimes we fall and we're like, okay, that was too scary. We, we get back up on the stand, right? We're all over the map. But that is the process more and more learning to fall back and trust in Jesus. This is this beautiful message. 
now like a good preacher, he's now a day and a half in. These guys are cooked. They're tired. And now he's getting ready to drop the hammer on him. Because right now you're like, oh, free food. Oh, we missed it. We got it. Yep, we're going to, um, oh, believe in the one who sent, have eternal life. Yep, that sounds good. And then comes the hard teaching. This is the hard teaching. He goes on in John chapter 6, verse 53, he says, but unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you will have no life in you. You could just imagine, like, we're done. Bread, got it. Free bread, got it. Eat your flesh, drink your blood. Like, that is just disgusting and gross. And these are good Jewish people who knew cannibalism was one of the worst sins you could ever do. And so they're like, this makes no sense. And they all just said, this is a hard teaching. And they all bailed. He didn't have to do any more free food after that, right? Like, it was a hard, hard teaching. But we know after 2,000 years that the obviously the interpretation of that passage has nothing to do with cannibalism. It had nothing to do with eating the actual flesh of Jesus, drinking the actual blood of Jesus. That has nothing to do with that, right? For 2,000 years, Christians have figured out what in the world is going on. And what is going on is the hard, hard teaching is saying, listen, if you really want the bread of life, if you really want to believe in me, then you need to eat my flesh and drink my blood, which means you need to participate fully into my life and into my death and into my resurrection. Paul in Romans 6, right, says that we are baptized into his death so that we can be baptized into his resurrection. Like, that's a hard teaching. Now, we've been around the church a long time, so we're like, yeah, pick up my cross and follow me. Yeah, no problem. We wear crosses around our neck. Like, like we, like we kind of like, you know, made it really easy to go, oh, the suffering of Christ to join in him. But that is the hard, hard teaching. Graduate level, master's level, following Christ. On this journey towards Christ, there's like this very simple invitation for faith, which God so loves. And then there's this master's level, this deep calling just to join in the suffering, to join in the sacrifice, to join in the submission to the will of God. Like that is hard, hard teaching. And you can imagine, just like any good preacher, he gets to the hardest part of the message and people just took off. But you guys are too nice. You're wearing masks. You're like, it's almost over. Maybe there's more donuts. You don't know. And um, so you're, you're hanging tight. Well, I think that actually, as I've been wrestling with this passage, oh, Nate, six more minutes. You doing okay? Okay. How many you got in you? You got one more in you? Okay, let's do it. All right, you got five minutes to get one more in you. Okay. So what I think, is, as I've been wrestling with this passage scripture, though, this week, and I've been thinking, that is a hard teaching. And there's this noble part of me that wants to follow Christ wherever he leads, right? I'm willing to suffer for him. I'm willing to submit to the will of the Father for him. Whatever sacrifice God has for me, like I want it, I want it, I want it in my head, right? And then something hard happens and I freak out. But in my mind, I really want it. And I think that what's so fun about being a part of a church that has so many people from so many different walks of life on so many different parts of their journey towards Christ, we get to watch each other in the very beginnings, experience the goodness and grace of God in the beginning of faith. We get to watch some older saints just crush it and get through the, the deepest, darkest valleys and see how God has been faithful. Like we are on this journey towards Christ and there is this part that is a hard, hard teaching. But I'm not going to lie, as I've been wrestling with this passage of scripture and thinking about our church and thinking about my life, I actually think there is a harder teaching for us to look at this morning. So Jesus, right, the, the bulk of his sermon, the, the center point of his sermon is John chapter 6, verse 35, says this, then Jesus declared that I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. That's the anchor. That's what Jesus is trying to say. 
But here is the harder teaching. It's harder because I think it pokes at our pride. At least it pokes at my pride. You guys can maybe are doing a little better. The reason why it's hard is because maybe we're not ready for master's level spirituality. Maybe we're just ready for kindergarten spirituality. And, what's, and I think we just need to own as a church, as human beings who are experiencing this moment in history, that COVID messed us all up. Like it really messed us all up. My sister is a teacher at Loma Verde School and her whole teaching, um, all of her teachers are mesmerized at these kids that are coming to elementary school and they are stunted. They are two years from where they should be. These second and third graders don't know how to read. These kindergartners don't know their alphabet, don't know how to sit in a circle, right? These fourth and fifth graders don't know how to interact. They have fully regressed because COVID has just kind of jumbled all of us up. And if, if our own little kids have been impacted in such a dramatic way, like can we at least own the possibility that maybe COVID has kind of stunted our spirituality a little bit too? COVID has maybe stunted our spiritual development and our spiritual growth too. And this is how I got to this point because I've been wrestling with this passage of scripture all week long. I came to this awful reality that maybe we've spoiled our appetite and that we're not even hungry for dinner. Because I think, oh, isn't that good news that Jesus is the bread of life and offers us food where we'll never be hungry again. But when I think of my own life, my own rhythms of life, my own complexities of life, I'm thinking, oh my goodness, if I'm honest, I'm not even hungry for spiritual things anymore. I think I've spoiled my appetite. I've done spiritually what poor Nate has done to his actual body, <laughs> right? Donuts are so good. Four donuts, that's a whole different ballgame, right? Renato's like, you're killing me. We we're actually going to go and have a nice lunch with our family and go to some incredible Thai food and experience our family and this great meal. And now Nate's like, I'm not hungry. I'm going to go throw up. Like I ruined their after church meal because he needed food, but we fed him the wrong things, right? And I think what happens in our walk with Christ that we are these spiritual people. We have this spiritual hunger, but instead of having Jesus satisfy that hunger, we end up filling ourselves with other things. We spoiled our appetite and we're not even hungry for dinner. I mean, look, I don't have to throw anybody under the bus so I can just use me and my family, right? Um, I have a hard day at work and I'm stressed out. And you know what? A McChicken and French fries seems to cover a lot of sins, right? All of a sudden you get enough sodium in me and I'm like, oh, that's so good. Right? Um, it's a long day, and Kay and I, we have some stuff to work out in our life and our marriage, but it's just been a long day. And you know, what if we just have a glass of wine and we watch a show? Oh, isn't that so nice when you have a glass of wine and watch a show? Maybe not every night for two years, though, right? <laughs> My kids are driving me crazy. They're trying to parent them. They're teenagers. At what point do I parent them? There's all this stress around them and what's happening with them and the way they're changing and what God's doing with them. And, but you know what? hey, I'll just extend their screen time and I'll be on my screen time and we can just kind of go to our separate corners for two years, right? Um, it's the end of the day, I lay down in bed. I've gone through my whole day, but now it's actually quiet and now I'm anxious, I'm worried. I'm thinking about all the, the things that are happening in our world and our life and our church and my family and I don't really want to worry. I don't want to lay in bed freaking out. 
oh, I forget I could trust Jesus, or I could just go to my phone. I have this incredible game that I'm trying to get a high score on, and the TikToks are so incredible. I can't get enough of them. And all of a sudden, I'm like exhausted two hours later, and I fall asleep, right? Like, this is just me. Like, I'm, you guys could be somewhere in the spectrum, but that's just me, normal Ben Kearns, pastor, human being. And those are ways that I've given up on finding God and connecting with God, trying to understand what God has for me, be fed by Him. And I've fed myself with different things to get me through the day. And so just think about your life. Think about the rhythms of your life. Think about where you actually have the space to wrestle with all the pain, all the discomfort, all the anxiety, all the worries, all the everything that's so overwhelming. But do you really have space? Good job, Nate. We're done. You're all done. Good job. I don't know how to turn that off anymore. Okay, but we'll figure that part out. Um, but that's the whole thing that we want to, um, you know, just think in your, in your, when you're th- reflecting on your life, where have you made space to sit in the discomfort, to sit in the challenging things? What are the things that you have chosen to cope and to discomfort and, and to, you know, and to distract yourself? I love this passage in Ephesians. Ephesians says, don't get drunk with wine, but rather be filled with the Holy Spirit. And I just think it's this beautiful reminder that we don't take all these inappropriate ways we cope to just make our life feel better, but rather we trust that the movement of the Holy Spirit is going to mold us and shape us and change us. So when I thought about, man, how do I solve this problem? Thankfully, we're part of a very incredible tradition. Uh, Christians have been doing this for 2,000 years. Jewish people have been doing this for 2,000 years before that. But part of the rhythm of our walk with God is this discipline of fasting. And we don't like people telling us what to do, and we don't like disciplines. But if we don't have disciplines in our life, we're just these knee-jerk people. We just go from stimuli to stimuli to stimuli. Disciplines, right? The fruit of the Spirit is self-control. When we take a hold of our flesh and say, you do not rule over me, all of a sudden, God can do this incredible thing. Did you know that you actually don't need food for a day? I tried it on Monday. I'm like, okay, I just need to practice what I preach. I'm not going to eat on Monday. And it was crazy. I made it through the whole day. I did. I was a little grumpy by the end, but I made it through the whole day. And by, by the discipline of saying no to food allowed me to recognize my real hunger, right, which reminded me that I'm actually spiritually hungry. And when I wanted comfort, I couldn't go to food. And because I knew I was preaching, I'm like, okay, well, then I guess this is an opportunity to practice. What is it like to go to Jesus and say, Jesus, you need to heal me. You need to care for this with me. You need to carry this burden with me, right? So here's just a simple invitation to adjust our appetites. And the way we adjust our appetites is through this discipline of fasting. If you ever heard people take do the whole 30, right? It's this way of, of stripping away all these uh, foods that, that mess with our taste buds. And after 30 days, your taste actually comes back. You, had, you, you taste things in a totally different way because you've like freed your taste buds from all the sodium toxic, you know, all the sodium that you've put in your mouth over and over and over again. Well, in the same way we want to do that, we want to detox our life and our spirituality and our walk with Christ so that we can hear from God and we can be cared for by God. And that is through the discipline of fasting. It's a discipline, but that discipline then also reveals our inner need, not our physical need, but our true need, and that actually allows for the Holy Spirit to minister to us, to feed us, and to care for us. In his book, uh, Hunger, um, Hunger for God, John Piper says this, The greatest enemy of hunger for God is not poison, but apple pie. It's like he wrote it to me. It's not the banquet of the wicked that dulls our appetite for for heaven. 
but it's the endless nibbling at the table of the world. I think it's so compelling because all of us, we're good Christian people. We know the big no-nos, what not to do. So we don't do the big no-nos, yet we make all these small little agreements to the things that actually numb our taste buds. So when I think of this idea of fasting, um, a few years ago, I, I fasted from caffeine. And, uh, and because, like, listen, I'm a, I'm a workhorse. I'm an ox. I power through everything. I don't get headaches uh, because I'm not addicted to caffeine. I don't, I'm not a jerk, you know, like Jeff is. Um, you know, when I, I can give up anything at any point, so I gave up caffeine. So there's this... this for like, I was going to do it for like two months or whatever the reason was. I give up caffeine. Well, I wasn't a jerk and I wasn't mean and I didn't have headaches. But like day three, I tell Katie, I'm like, I think I have mono. Like, is it possible for a grown man to get mono? Like I was so lethargic. I was so tired. I was so exhausted all the time. Now, normally I'd be like, well, give me some coffee, and then away I go. But because I'm on a fast, because I'm not trying to satisfy my appetites, but I'm saying, okay, God, I'm I'm saying no to this, so what do you have to say for me? And all of a sudden, God's like, well, you are living at a pace that is unrealistic. The things that you're trying to do are impossible to do unless you have external stimuli. Why are you working so hard? God's like, "Uh, I'm the one who's actually in charge. I'm in power. I can do those things. Why are you worried about those things and working so hard and trying— you know, like a human being needs sleep. A human being needs certain things. A hum- your worry doesn't matter, right? And in this fasting from, from caffeine, right, revealed this, this, this thing in me that I was filling my life with and trying to live in an unsustainable life. And in that, God got to meet me and heal me and help me figure out a life that is a better partnership with him, right? That's the discipline of fasting. So when you think of your life, you think of the things that you've been using to cope and to numb your senses so that you don't have to deal with your inner, inner life. My simple invitation is, would you be willing this week for 24 hours to say no? I don't know if it's food, if it's alcohol, if it's TikTok, if it's your work emails when you're not at work, if it's the deeper, darker stuff that we don't like saying out loud. But we all have those things. We all have a way and a reason of doing those things to numb us. And the discipline of fasting is saying, for this season, I'm going to say no to that so that God, maybe you can reveal what's going on in me and truly then satisfy my deepest hunger. Because for as incredible as TikTok is, it is not satisfying. Well, once it is until it's over, right? We want to be satisfied all the way through. So... I couldn't turn it off. I'm sorry, but that's, we're all done. Okay. Um, So that's what I'd love for you to think about. In fact, I'm just going to give you 15 seconds to just think about what it is in your life that you use to make sure you don't have to be reflective. We all probably know what that is right away. And to at least just imagine what it'd be like to give that up for a day, two days, a week. How'd that feel? something to consider. Well, what I love is after Jesus' really hard message, after his really hard sermon, everyone walks away and Jesus says this, you don't want to walk away and leave too? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? For you have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. 
we were talking about this in, in, our, in our prayer time this morning before the service. What I love about our church is we're not a legalistic church. No one in our church for however God blesses is here because you feel like you're going to earn points with God. How fun. That means you guys are here because you know somewhere in your guts that Jesus really is the bread of life, that you know or at least have a memory of having a hunger for God and how gracious is God that he wants to fulfill that. So even in a hard moment, Jesus says, are you going to leave too? And we say no. Now we may be kindergartners. We thought we were ready for master's levels, but even as kindergartners, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life and we've come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. And so our hope and our prayer as a church, both this week, but really for the whole movement of our church is that we would be spiritually hungry people. We would come into contact with our inner life to know where we need Jesus to heal us and to feed us and to care for us. We'd give testimony to his goodness and his grace. And we would mature so that we would ultimately be the kind of Christians that would embrace the suffering and the sacrifice and submit to the will of the Father. But all along that journey, we walk with each other towards Christ. And the thing that we have in common is we recognize that Jesus is the Lord most high. And out of a discipline, we worship him. We posture our affection for him as he molds and shapes us into his image. So if you'd stand, let me pray for us. And then we're going to spend a little time in worship doing just that. Heavenly Father and our gracious God, you are so generous to us. For even as kindergartners, you just give us the morsel that we need. You extend the free food to satisfy our actual physical longings. But I pray we would not be satisfied with just these little morsels that just get us um, from one trauma to the next or one chaotic moment to the next. But we would see that as a simple invitation to the deeper things. An invitation to the better bread and to the deeper water where you will satisfy our deepest hunger. I pray you'd forgive me and forgive us for all the ways that we have coped inappropriately, all the ways that we have covered over the places that you wanted to care for us with just the shallowest version. Give us the strength and courage to say no to those things. And as we worry and freak out our anxiety, meet us through the ministry of your Holy Spirit. You said to cast all of your burdens on you because you care for us. For your yoke is easy and your burden is light. And so we humbly come to you. And as we come to you, the one thing that we all have in common is we all recognize that you are God most high. And by believing in you, we have access to your table to encounter your Holy Spirit, to have life everlasting. And for that reality, as much as it's in our head and we long for it to be in our guts, we practice these truths and we worship you. We tune our affections towards you. We worship you. Amen and amen.